Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you are with the Word on Wednesday. And we bless God for you tonight. We shall not prolong the hour. We're going to dive right into this after a brief word of prayer. As you know, we're on Acts chapter 12, and we continue our journey. So, with that said, let's bow our head for a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name we come. We come to thank you and we come to praise you, to bless you, and to give you the glory. For all glory belongs to you. All power is yours. Father, we understand that of ourselves we can do nothing. It's in you that we live, that we move, and we have our being. And for all that you have done for us, we say thank you. Father, our desire tonight is to go into your word that we might be better stewards, that we might be better disciples, that we might be better at bringing you glory. So, Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your leading and your guiding. We ask that you would shower down your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would anoint this teaching tonight, that we might teach your word with clarity. Father, we pray that somebody's life is changed because of this word. We pray that someone draws closer to you because of this word. We pray that someone would get to know you even better because of this word. But more than anything else, God, we pray that because you alumnate your word, that we would bring you glory and advance the gospel of Jesus on this earth. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, tonight, hey, girl, how you doing? My wife. Um, Tonight, we get the opportunity to go into Acts chapter 12. And Acts chapter 12 um, will will get us, will expose some of the politics that took place during um, the time that the gospel was being spread by the early church. Um, Acts chapter 12 is not a pivotal chapter. But it is one that brings to the forefront some things that were happening even as far back as when Jesus was on the scene. And um, what we've done so far is we've watched the gospel be spread. Last week when we we spoke, um, the thing that we saw was that in Acts 11 that more, more and more barriers were being taken down. And so this week, like I said, we expose some of the politics that surrounded um, the church and some of the political things that were going on in the background. And it's, you're going to have to listen really close because there's a name that you're going to hear over and over again. And so during the first part, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to explain this name. 
So without going any, without you know, belaboring the hour anymore, what I want to do is I want to dive right in, and I'm going to start reading, and I'm at Acts chapter 12, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, so, a lot happens in that first verse. That first verse is going to be necessary for us to really dissect it to understand what is going on during the rest of this chapter. So if all I get to is, this first, this first paracope that I just read, that'll be enough. But I'm hoping to get through the entire chapter. So, I want what I had to do was I had to 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 go and get myself a chart because you read here in chapter and the uh, the first verse it says about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now. When you think about Herod, you, if you've read any of the Gospels, you see Herod show up. But if, you are, um, if you're not really a student of the Bible, and this is your first time going through, you keep thinking, we keep seeing this Herod, this Herod, this Herod. I mean, when you first go into the Gospel of Matthew, for example, you see Herod show up. When you go to the, the death of Jesus, there's Herod again showing up. And now here you are over at Acts, and here is Herod again. <clears throat> well, what you're actually seeing is the Herodian dynasty. And we've got to go all the way back even before Christ to explain Herod. Herod, there's a number of characters within the Bible, a number of people. I'm just going to call them characters for the sake of this narrative. But there are a number of characters who bear the name Herod. Now, this Herod that we are looking at right now, this Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, and he is known as Herod Agrippa. Now, let, me, let me go back, all the way back to Herod the Great. Herod the Great comes on the scene um, prior to the birth of Christ, and he is the one who killed all of the babies, who had ordered all of the babies killed because he was determined that there would be no other king but him. And this Herod the, the Great, this guy was a nut. I mean, he, was, he, he killed his wives. He had five wives, and by those five wives, he had seven sons. But of those seven sons, uh, a couple of them died early on, and then he was, you know, he was even afraid of his own sons, his own siblings, 
And so if you were around here at the great, you were subject to get killed. Um, of the five sons, the five sons come uh, had the five sons come along, and three of of the five, three of them lived. And when Herod the Great died, three of his sons plus one daughter were given territories that they ruled over. Now it is Herod Antipas that John the Baptist uh, rebukes for marrying his brother Philip's wife. You know, when you go to and when you when you look in the Bible and you see that scene about Herod uh Herodotus and the daughter uh who danced for him and said, Hey, you know what? And he danced stands so good that Herod Antipas says, I'll give you anything you want and he said, Bring me John the Baptist's head on a plaza. That's the son, one of the sons of Herod the Great. We also see Herod Antipas at, at the trial of Jesus. And it's during that time that, that Pilate is trying to curry favor with Herod. And when he sees that Herod, this Herod Antipas is over Galilee, he sends him, he sends Jesus over because Jesus is from his territory. And he says, oh, no, I ain't uh-uh, going to send him back to him. I ain't got time for that. So, there's, there's the second level or the second generation of Herods. And then now when we get to Acts, we get to the grandson. And the grandson is the grandson of uh, Herod Astabulus. And I might be pronouncing that wrong. It's not Antipas' grandson. It is Astabulus' grandson. And Astabulus is a character who uh, he spent time in jail. He 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 got sideways with Rome, and he he wound up um, he wound up going to, being exiled really, and so his son comes along. Now, how did his son get the position after his father was in jail? Well, when there was trouble in the kingdom, Herod Agrippa was raised with Roman aristocracy, so he know he knew Caligula. He knew all, he was raised with them. He was educated with them. He was friends with them. And when they came into power, they made him, they gave him this territory. And at, at, one, at one point in his kingdom, he has all of the territories uh, that his father once had. Rather than having them split up amongst the son, he winds up with all of them. It's important that we go through this, and now this leads us into the politics. Now that we know his history, this leads us into the politics. The politics of Herod was simple. He was a vassal of Rome. He was a representative of Rome. He was not a member of the emperor's family. And it was important that, that you understand with this this. Um, this friendship with the emperor meant. Remember when, when, when uh, if you read in the Gospels, uh, they basically say to, to Pilate, he says, then if you don't do what we ask you to do, the Jewish, the Jewish people say, if you don't do what we ask you to do, Pilate, then you are no friend of Caesar's. And Pilate got scared and he you know, bagged up and gave the Jews what they wanted. 
the reason why this was there was always a threat of losing your governorship, your kingdom, if you were not a member of the Senate or if you were not a member of that ruling class. Again, the only reason Agrippa is Herod Agrippa is in the position that he is in is because of his friendship with Rome. And as a friend of Rome, as a ruler of the Roman nation, one of the things that he is that he must do is he must govern properly. And and to govern properly, he has to keep the Jews under control because you do know that the Jews were a rebellious nation, and they were they, Rome particularly kept their eyes on this area because uh, prior to prior to the um, prior to the uh, Herodian dynasty, there was the Hasmonean dynasty. The Hasmonean dynasty came about because of uh, Judas Maccabees, and. It's during those those revolts that they had that the Maccabees took over, and you had this 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 um, dynastic succession of rulers of Judea that literally uh, passed from one to the other until Herod comes on the scene, and Herod gets put on the scene due to some wars within Rome, and if you are uh, for Roman history, you've got. You know Anthony and Cleopatra and all of those, all of those things that you learned in Roman history, are, are contained within the Gospels. And it, had you lived back then, you would have known it. But unless you study the history of the Gospels, unless you study uh, Roman history as well as the history of Israel, then you miss all of that. And the writer assumes that we know this stuff. One other thing that that you have to understand the, the, the precarious position that, that Herod is in. All of the Herods are in this position. Herod was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau who converted to Judaism and considered himself a Jew, but he didn't live like a Jew. This is Herod the Great now. I've got to take my time and really, really lay this out so you can see what's going on and why he does what he does. And what he's got to do constantly is he's got to keep the Jewish population under control. And sometimes he curries favor with them by doing things that they want him to do and at other times, he just does it by military force. There's a there's a point in in, in history where it talks about how he how one I forget which Herod it was. I think it was Herod. Um, I think it was I think it was second generation of Herods. How they went in and they literally slaughtered three thousand Jews, and it was all over uh, something that they put up at the temple. As a matter of fact, I think it was Herod the Great that did that. He put um. They put some kind of eagle or something over a temple, and you couldn't have those images on the temple. And so a couple of the teachers came came up, and they took them down. And for that, Herod slaughtered 3,000 Jews. So sometimes it was by military force. Other times 
It was by, you know, um, persuasion and concession and negotiation. But it was all political because not only was the high, not only was Herod in his position because of Rome, the high priest was controlled that way also. And there's a lot of stuff behind the high priesthood because the high priesthood was not being passed along as it was in the Old Testament. So you've got a lot of those things. And when you get to that, when I go back just very, very quickly to the thing about the Edomite, that, that Herod was an Edomite, you know, a descendant of Esau. You know that Esau and Jacob, you know the story about Esau and Jacob, how they were always at odds with each other. And so they're still, they're still at odds with each other. And Herod is hiding behind it. And the Jews know, the Jews basically say, he ain't a real Jew, but, you know, hey. We'll put up with him, but he didn't live like a Jew. He lived more like a Hellenist. And so that's the backdrop. He's always looking to make sure that he does something to curry favor with the Jews. And when we get into Acts, what we see is that the Jews now, there's a segment of the, Jew, of the Jews, not Jewish Christians, but just Jews, who are against the movement that is caused by those who believe in Christ. Remember early on, they chased, that, they chased them out, the Hellenistic Jews out of Jerusalem. Remember that persecution that we talked about earlier in Acts? And now we get to a point where they're actually after the apostles, because the first time the apostles didn't leave. They weren't chased out. The apostles stayed. So now we get to Acts chapter 12. I've read that first part. And what happens? Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Why did he lay violent hands? Because it pleased the Jews. Because he was going to satisfy the Jews. That's what that was all about. There was a it was all politics. If he can curry favor with this one segment, then they would say nice things about him, they would cooperate with him, and then he wouldn't be in any trouble with Rome, and he would extend his power base. That's, it's as simple as that. And then, so when he laid hands on some of the church, that's what it says, he laid violent hands on some within the church, and he chopped off James's head. Now, we come to James several times in Acts. This, and again, we have to distinguish between which James we're talking about. The James that he killed is John's brother. Remember in the Gospels where it talks about James and John, with, and they were calling them, they were the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder? Well, he takes James, he, he tries him, and he chops his head off. And he saw that this brought satisfaction to the Jews. This is what the Jews wanted. The Jews wanted to stop that movement. Why? We, we talked about it earlier. Because it was an erosion of their political authority. It was erosion of their religious authority over the people. And so they've got to stop a movement. Now, so now you see, start seeing this triangle that's being drawn. On the one hand, Herod Agrippa has got to please Rome. On the other hand, he's got to keep things cool with the Jews. 
And still, the Jews want to keep control over everything that's going on within Judea. Why is that? Or within, 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 within that territory. Why do they want to do that? Because they love the power. And so, what happens? What happens is simple. Herod says, ooh, that worked good for me. And so he gets Peter, and he says, and he locks Peter up, intending to kill Peter. But he knows that now they come into past the, the season of Passover, and he knows that it is unlawful for him to do something like that during the Passover season. And here's something that I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into over the next week or two or not, but here's something I want you to remember. What is the purpose of Passover? What is the purpose of this season of unleavened bread? The purpose of Passover was to celebrate deliverance, the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian captivity. The purpose of Passover was to remember the great I am who overthrew Pharaoh, who drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, releasing the children of promise to go to the promised land. You see, you see all, of that, 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 all of that that's just packed in there, this, this that one little section that you have to see? And so we're in a time, let's go back there. We're in a time when we should be celebrating deliverance, and the Jews are celebrating deliverance, but Peter is locked in jail and James is dead. Let's bring it to today. What are we seeing happen within the church now? Because rather than, you know, back then, the people of God, the people of God should have been celebrating their deliverance, but instead they are being played and conspiring with someone who is interested in power. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? Look around right now and look at the position of, of, of our government. There is, what, what's being exposed right now is that it's not about policy, it's about power. You see, politics should be more about policy and proper governance, but instead what we're seeing is power on display. Who has what power? Which party has the power? Which person has the power? And what do you need to do to appease this individual so with his power so you can get something passed for the people? And which people are we playing to? You think about that. You say, I'm not a politician. I am not a politician. I wanted to be back before I got saved. And I would have been a great politician because I could lie with the best of them. And I could, you know, do all the little underhanded stuff. But God saw fit to bring me out of that mess and make me a preacher instead of a politician. But even that 
even being a preacher does not make you immune from lusting after power because we have seen in our times the conspiracy of certain religious groups and religious leaders who conspire and will do wrong simply for power and prestige. And they won't practice the truth, but instead will say, you know what, I will compromise my position in Christ. I will compromise my position as a minister or a reverend or a bishop or a president of a seminary or whatever. I'm willing to compromise my position, I'm willing to compromise my testimony of the power of God to get some type of temporary power or favor from the so-called powers that be. You see it today just like you see it in Acts chapter 12. That's what's going on in those first several verses. There is a power struggle and it is impacting the ability of the gospel to go forward. Yeah. And what I am afraid of today, and I'm praying about it too, is that we have not done so much damage to the testimony of Christ by, by, by running after political power and trying to do things that curry favor with the so-called powers that be, that we bastardize the gospel of Jesus Christ and we make it null and void because we, as I said, we have said that wrong is right, that truth is irrelevant, that truth is relative, that we say that, that we make excuses for people who just do the wrong thing and go with alternative facts. We've made ourselves public relations uh, uh, specialists rather than standing on the truth of God's word, God's, God's church, God's church, God's representative, God's disciple is supposed to stand on truth and supposed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he is supposed to live like Christ lived. It's not, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent. Doesn't make any, if you're a Christian, the book is your guide. The Holy Spirit is your guide. And if you're not following the book, if you're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit, then I'm sorry. You're wrong. You're just wrong as two left shoes, and I've, I've, I've said it, and I won't take it back. And this is what's happening here. We are watching the Jews compromise God, and we're watching Herod play them and do things for them that appeases them so he could keep them quiet. Notice I didn't mention any names. I'm on, you, you draw the connections yourself. You draw the connections yourself. You'll see it. You'll see it. You'll see it. And I'm not talking about just on a national level. I'm talking about on a local level. When Christians start playing politics, 
they're getting themselves in trouble. We are politi- we are political people, but but our politics is driven by Christ. Our politics is driven by the, what the Holy Spirit says. Okay, so during a time of celebration, Peter's in jail. And not only is he in jail, but they have assigned a series of guards to him. Peter's chained. He's, got a, he's chained to a guard on his left, and he's chained to a guard on his right. There's a, there's a guard at the first entrance. There's a guard at the second entrance. There is no way that Peter is getting out of this mess. It's just a matter of time before he is going to be executed, but the church is praying. What does it say in verse 9 or verse 5? So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You know something? Tell you something. One of the problems that we have in the church today, you don't believe in prayer. Mm-mm. If you believe that, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, then how come you don't pray more? If you, don't, if you believe that where two or three are gathered together in my name, that they will be in the midst of it, then how come you ain't going to prayer meeting? How come prayer meeting is one of the worst attended services, and it's been like that the majority of my life. I'm going to advance a thesis that the reason why people don't pray on a regular basis is because they don't believe in prayer. Oh, yeah, we'll pray as a a last-minute kind of thing, as a last resort, but we don't believe that God answers prayer. We believe more in a rabbit's foot than we do in prayer. We believe more in look than we do in prayer. We don't believe when the Lord said to us, ask anything in my name and I'll do it according to my will. We don't believe in that. And so we don't pray. Or we pray them, now lay me down to sleep prayers. Hope I get up in the morning. Prayer is essential to the life of a Christian. You know, I got to stop right there. I got to stop right there. It, I know it took a long time to, to kind of set up what's going on in Acts chapter 12. As a matter of fact, tonight we only got through five verses. But it's so important that we understand what's going on and why it's going on, that I took the time. I I think it's necessary to take the time. This is Bible study. And so we're going to study. I'm going to lead you into the history. I have to to lay down a solid foundation so when you you leave out of the Bible class, when you, tomorrow as you're reading, uh, uh, more of Acts chapter 12, and you go on, you understand what's going on behind this, the why of this, and what it is. And so I'm going to take my time and do it. It's just so important. It's time out for us, you know, uh, surface reading and being ignorant and not really studying to show ourselves approved. And you know what studying is? 
Studying is not just reading it one time and, you know, just say, okay, uh I read it. Studying is taking the time to really rip it apart, find out what's underneath it, and put it all back together again so we have a real good understanding of what's happening so we can apply it to our lives today. Hey, that's what I got for you tonight. I hope you'll be back with me next week because next week, now we can really springboard off of what we've learned tonight. And there was a reason why I stopped fussing about praying. Yes, there was. Because you are going to see next week what happens when a church comes together and prays. Amen? Hey, let's have a word of prayer before we leave. If there's any questions, um, let me know. If there's any questions, uh, 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 those of you who are on Facebook Live, I'm looking down at the, I'm finally looking at the um, uh, screen. And if you got a question, put it up there real quick, and I will answer the question if I if if I if I know the answer to it. If not, I'll get back to you next week with the answer. Um, and if you're on Face, if you're on um, uh, Global Drive, you can call me at nine two nine four seven seven two three zero four nine two nine four seven seven two three zero four. And for those of you who are wondering why is he looking at such weird angles, well, I got a couple cameras on me right now. And I'm trying to, you know, what we do every week, by the way, is we will put this on the YouTube channel for those who miss it part, missed parts of it or um, who uh, uh, missed the whole thing and want to keep up. As a matter of fact, uh, tomorrow sometimes, sometime tomorrow, Acts chapter 11 will be posted on YouTube for those of you who missed that. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You need to go out to the YouTube channel and pick up Acts chapter 11. As a matter of fact, you should get Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And they're both about 30, 35 minutes long. But it's worth the time because you'll get an understanding of baptism. You'll get an understanding of what it means to be clean and unclean according to Jesus. You'll get so much understanding and so much learning, but you just need to go out there and get there and just grab those videos. They're free. They are free. And this teaching, this teaching will be out early early next week, maybe this weekend, I don't know. Depends on how fast I can get to doing the editing on them. But in any event, let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you take the time with us to teach us that you take the time with us to reveal yourself to us, that you don't want us walking in darkness, that you want us walking in light, that you want us to know you better, and and you want us to know your word. So, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for those who have come out tonight to share with us and for those who will... um, who will review the videos and learn of you. God, our purpose is not fame or fortune. Our purpose is to equip the saints of God to get closer to you and to be more effective in their service to you, to bring glory to you, and to fulfill your command to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. How we thank you. How we praise you. 
how we magnify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, that's all I got for you tonight. But next week, next week, we, we get into the exciting part of the spread of the gospel that is recorded in Acts. Looking forward to seeing you. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. God bless you.